You're listening to Business Casual, a podcast about making dollars and cents Aha. in commercial real estate. Welcome back, everybody. I am Tim, the commercial guy at Churchwell, your host. And joining me today, well, uh, we actually have a kind of a guest host, Don Kennedy. She is the president of the CEO for Hurrah, Hampton Roads Realtors Association. She's here. And with us, we also have Sydney Covey. We're going to talk about uh, the importance and everybody's for things like climate control and everything else now and sustainability. Well, Sydney is a an environmental sustainability engineer and expert. And to give you an idea, she uses her knowledge in this field and she provides solutions that embody clients' sustainability goals. Her position for environmental stewardship. And, and I can vouch that she really is a steward of this stuff, people. She's a huge advocate of it. But she brings that knowledge to benefit her clients in every stage of the building's life cycle. You know? And it results in a steadfast championship to usher forth building environmental and human wellness. Her breadth of experience includes such things as involvement in the Brock Environmental Center, which is a lead platinum not a gold, a platinum, Mm -hmm. uh, in Living Building Challenge certified facility. In her career, Sydney has helped certify over 3 million square feet of building space. Wow. Just a little. Well, we'll get into some recent projects right now, which are huge. Uh, She serves on the USG Green Building Council. Building Council, uh, Virginia's Market Leadership Advisors Board, and the Board of Directors for the Chesapeake Bay Governor's School of Marine Environmental Sciences, the Educational Foundation. Uh, she serves on the Board of Directors on affordable, sustainable housing projects for the St. Paul's Community Development Corporation. In 2017, Sydney was the recipient of the Virginia Wesleyan University's Graduate of the Last Decade Award. Sydney, thanks wow. so much for being with us today. I'm glad, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> and Don, thank yes. you for joining us today as well. Well, you're welcome. I was excited and thank you for letting me sit in um, because that what you're talking about and what you do is a little bit near and dear to my heart. I actually went for my green designation the first year it came out. That was back in 2008, I think, maybe 2010. Wow. And I've kept my membership going yeah, um, because I think sustainability is just that's where we need to be. Yeah. If we're going to yeah. continue to keep this planet going. So, well, with with that, for instance, the Councils of Real Estate and has come out and identified as climate issues, for instance, being one of the major factors going forward for real estate. And I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with the Councils of Real Estate. It's a very esteemed organization. Uh, you international. Can't, yeah, international. You you have to be invited to join. Ah, okay. Which, okay. by the way, just I was invited to apply. <laughs> to apply. That's, I, mean, I don't that's know. A really I don't know deal. to join, but apply, they did invite huh? me to. Yeah. Well, they did send me a thing saying you've been nominated and vetted and all this other stuff. Ah, so, yeah. Hopefully, I'll get invited again. I did not join, but the but that's a huge factor, obviously, in our society and climate control, sustainability. Uh, but it also has some great business benefits as well for the for the property owner, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so 
as uh, Tim knows, I'm very passionate about sustainability. I live and breathe it every day. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about why it's so important, I mean, we spend 90% of our time inside, inside of a building, uh, inside of our home, our work, where we work, live and play. It's all about being inside of a building of some sort. Mm-hmm. So when I think about sustainability and I, um, my degree is in business and environmental studies. I wanted to have both sides of the, or what I thought would be both sides of the story. When I got into my career, I understood that there were far more than just two sides to the coin, but I really wanted to be able to talk about the ecosystem services that came with environmental sustainability. But I also wanted to be able to make the business case because I knew that without the business case, I wouldn't be able to convince but so many people. Mm -hmm. I knew I had the tree huggers already on my side with the ecosystem side of the equation, but I didn't have the business people who were ultimately the ones controlling the decisions. Are we allowed to say tree huggers anymore? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I say it all the time. Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm in a very favorable way. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So I think yeah. it's okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm just kind of curious about that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of business case, I just read an article where even small Class B office buildings are starting yeah. to integrate rooftop gardens. Yeah, and that sort of thing, where they're making every inch of space that they can usable and yeah absolutely sustainable. well even uh i mean if there's one good thing that came out of the covid19 pandemic it's people's um really heightened level of consciousness around like indoor environmental quality mm-hmm. and where they go to work um so there's been a lot of pressure and we've seen it in commercial office space especially the types of buildings that people are wanting to come back to yeah. are healthier buildings are more sustainable buildings they have attributes like rooftop mm-hmm. gardens You know, they're talking about how often have we changed our air filters. And we weren't talking about that before. (laughs) Before COVID, I was talking about it with facility managers and how important it was. But when you have a tenant come in and ask your facilities team, when's the last time you changed your air filter? I mean, that's a really big question. If you don't know the answer to that, you're seeing people walk out on their lease terms because of it. And it's I mean, it's something that now is a tool that... um, office uh, managers are looking at as this is how, you know, we have a heightened standard of quality and cleanliness. We are looking at these things as ways that we can, you know, give you a more attractive place to come back to work to. Okay. Uh, when we talk to, to our bigger clients who have more, um, who have um, offices across the country, what they're looking at is how do we make our office space more attractive to people to come back to work to like, they did a good job of like, you guys can go work wherever you want, be remote. Now we're ready to bring people back. But what can we do to make ourselves different from our competitors um, and make people want to come back to our office and enjoy it? And sustainability is is quite, you know, is one of those ways that we can do that. Well, you yeah. don't just do office. You know, we we're talking about office. But yeah. you, uh, for instance, you're working on a large project up in outside of Richmond, Virginia right now, correct? Correct. Yeah. We've actually got a couple of large manufacturing facility clients right now. Uh, warehouse distribution and manufacturing have become the new, I'd say, Five years ago, I wouldn't have said that warehouse distribution manufacturing was like where I was spending a lot of my time. But in fact, more than 50 percent of my work right now is in the uh, large manufacturing distribution warehouse uh, facility side. And I uh, often have to ask why they're doing it. And it's not because uh, they necessarily um, want to. It's because they're being um, forced to or asked to be by their stakeholders, by their board members. And, you know, they're um, they have a bigger environmental social governance goal at a corporate level that is driving it down that even at the mm-hmm. warehouse level, even at the manufacturing level, they are 100 percent required to embody the same sustainability goals. Um, and they see it a lot, not only from the, the branding perspective that comes along with being in a sustainable building, operating one, 
employees getting to come to that building, but they also see the um, reduction in operation costs and, you know, they're saving on energy, they're saving on water. When we talk about working with nonprofits, it's the first thing that we talk about because, you know, when we worked on the Barack Center, we always talk about how like everybody wants to pay for like the really fun and sexy things like a wind turbine or a solar (laughs) panel. They don't want to fund or education even. They don't want to fund, um, you know, a fancy mechanical system or they don't want to, you know, fund, you know, operations of a building. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to say like it's our building is going to be more efficient so we can spend and allocate money to the mission more than we do operating our building. So let me ask you something. Are you allowed to name the big company in Chesterfield that you're doing? I'm not really sure if I okay. have to or not. What's the square footage of it? 1.4 million square okay, feet. So That's one, one of them. Yeah. yeah. So, so 1.4 million sizable. square feet. Yeah. And it's an internationally known company. And we'll leave it at that. But for somebody like that, what are some of the sustainability aspects that you're implementing there? So um, first and foremost, looking at energy, we're looking at implementing solar panels. Um, so actually at, at 1.4, 1.5 million square feet, they'll, they'll have a solar field. They won't just have panels on the rooftop. They'll oh, really? have almost 100 acres of solar panels. Oh, wow. So they are, they, I mean, energy intensive, intensity. Um, and that's probably the first thing that, you know, is like a key indicator of sustainability. That's obviously one of those most identifiable sustainable features on a building, I think. Mm-hmm. Other things that we're looking at, we're spending a lot of time talking about carbon, um, carbon emissions, um, mm. the embodied carbon of materials. So all of the carbon that gets expelled um, from the minute that the material is extracted in its raw state all the way to the time that it gets to the construction site and all of that energy that is um, expelled and will never come back. We won't ever get the embodied carbon back from a material. And so thinking about where that material comes from in transportation, who is manufacturing that good before it gets to us, what type of sustainability initiatives they have in place to make their process more sustainably efficient, environmentally friendly. Um, we're spending a lot of time there because it's really important because the embodied carbon is gone. Like Once it's expelled, it's there forever. It's not like operational carbon where you can continue to improve on that. Um, it's locked away forever. Some of the other things that we're implementing Obviously, when we talk about energy efficiency, we always talk about like reducing our need for energy to begin with. Mm-hmm. The less you need, the easier it is for you to become more energy efficient. Um, and so ensuring that they're operating at you know peak performance, we have a tight building envelope. I always tell people that we talk about a building envelope. It's like wearing a big winter jacket and it's a lot easier for you to buy a new winter coat or a heavier winter coat than it is for you to buy a new HVAC system in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we always talk to clients about how much insulation do we have between the walls and how we max that, that out. Um, so we've made use of every little hole that we have and filled every nook and cranny before we go to, you know, a new mechanical system. Um, yeah. Well, we've talked to, we've talked to them about issues such as energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. What about sustainable materials? Uh, sustainable materials are near near and dear to my heart. I say that because I was the sustainability intern on the Brock Environmental Center here in Hampton Roads. It was the ninth living building challenge certified project in the world. Wow. It was the first building for first commercial building in the continental United States to uh, harvest, treat and distribute rainwater as drinking water. Part of the living building challenge process is to, um, is they have a red list material list and all the materials that go into the building have to be vetted against this list. And it's a list of chemicals and materials that um, in some way, shape or form are detrimental to human health or environmental mm. health over the life of the product. So wow. like there are normal things on there, like lead and asbestos and mercury that we all know and know as toxic materials. But there are things on there like PVC, which 
if you know PVC is in everybody's house and it does no you no harm to you um, in its you know physical state, but the um, ways in which we extract the, the raw materials for the PVC and then get rid of the PVC in its life is detrimental. And so every single material that goes into the building has to be vetted against that. And it was like asking Coca-Cola for their secret recipe um, and trying to get them to uh, trying to get manufacturers to just disclose what's in their products. As the intern, I was the one badgering everybody asking for their secret recipes. But full disclosure, I definitely had a couple of attorneys sick on me and I was like, go ahead. I'm the intern. I'm pretty disposable. <laughs> like wow. they don't, I, I can be fired. I don't care. Um, I'm, I'm just here for the summer <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but but that, that really made me uh, think about, you know, why are we talking about sustainable materials? And when we're in the built environment space, we have some responsibility to, to have to, to be able to dictate and protect our future sustainable materials. Um, if, I, if I hadn't gone through the living building challenge process and I hadn't gone through this experience with red list materials, um, I wouldn't know how toxic, you know, paint could be outside of lead. Okay. You know, like I tell people when we talk about like volatile organic compounds or VOCs, everybody's like, I love the new car smell. And I'm like, but really, that's just a bunch of toxins. So it's all of the paint fumes. It's all of the carpets. Uh, carpet, yeah. It's all of the, you know, fabrics from the seating. Oh, it's all of those coatings okay. and they're just baking in the sun. And then when you open the car doors for the first time, or the first few times, all those VOCs um, oh. end up getting expelled. So that's the new car smell. I ruin it for everybody that doesn't know that. So, Well, I know like I'm using recycled materials. I've mm -hmm. seen carpet made from used two liter plastic yeah. bottles. Yeah. I mean, so now we're seeing a lot more manufacturers who are taking their material back and making it into um, new material. Um, and even, you know, we're seeing a lot of like reuse and repurpose at the Brock Center. There is a lot of repurposed materials. There's a old pickle barrel. Um, there's barn uh, barn siding planks. There's gym floor, which is probably okay. my favorite. There's um, other materials that, you know, you've just extended their life or just changed the way that you look at them and they could be repurposed and reused. So, Well, Sydney, I, I know you happen to like red wine. Yes. And just in the interest of disclosure here, folks, we are actually sitting <laughs> here right now enjoying as we're having this conversation with you, St. Uh, Emilian Grand Cru, uh, 2019 from Chateau de la Loupe. I, I don't speak delicious. French. delicious. Delicious. And Barbara, it looks like you so never eat on so yeah, do you, Sydney. Yeah. yeah, of course. But the reason why I was bringing that up is, have you been to New Kent Winery? I have been to New Kent Winery. Did you do the tour with I, all the reclaimed wood? I did. I did. New Kent and uh, Williamsburg Winery are two of my favorite, like environmental sustainability. Williamsburg Winery, yeah, they have a, they have, I think it's a hundred and seventy acres of land, and they're reforesting more than half of it. It's a very like hidden gem type. Oh. Uh, they're environmental. They're they're more um, land conservation okay. environmental. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, New Kent. Don, have you been to New? Mm -hmm. No, I have not. So that'll be more something homework. interesting. Yes. I know more, more and more to do. It is. It's all this. The whole thing was built with reclaimed wood for the most part. It's cool. And it's a, it's beautiful. Uh, and there's a whole neighbor. There's this huge 20 year development plan for there, including like all the house stuff around there. The, the vines can act, Many of the vines actually just run along the fence line. Wow. It's really neat. And. They make good wines too. Obviously, you have to try it. Yeah. Have to try it. <laughs> you know, when you were just speaking about like just reclaimed wood, I think sometimes people get intimidated by sustainability, and yes. it's 
one of the things that we talked about with our own building was just automatic lights yeah. shut off. I mean, mm-hmm. just silly little things, the low VOC yeah. paint, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But little things that you can do, it doesn't have to be a big thing. And yeah. every little thing makes a difference. Well, you yeah. can also do controls for your HVAC system. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. I mean, the Nest thermostats are the best, you know, yes. best no, I invention. Talking, I was right? talking about on a, on a big commercial building. Well, yes. But, yeah. but too, I mean, so what we see even commercial spaces with Nest thermostats when they can't, they only have but so much control, right? Because right. like when you're okay. in a commercial space, you may not have control over the entire building. You may not yeah, have, true. you know, the access to those controls or your landlord may not be willing and flexible to do, you know, what you want to the space. That's but as soon as you can control it, at, you know, when you're at your level, you know, adding something like a Nest thermostat is a very easy way to add occupancy sensor light um, and control okay. your spaces a little bit more. I mean, just like yeah. with the, you know, with the light switches, it's the same lighting controls, mm-hmm. it's the same type of thing. And when we talk to clients, that's the first thing we talk about is like, well, what, you know, let's do the easy things first. The low hanging fruit. You know, let's yep. get all of the low hanging fruit out of the way. And then depending on your goal and where you're trying to go, then we'll move up the ladder. I'm not going to recommend a new mechanical system unless your mechanical system is on its way out anyway. And okay. that's a different story. But yeah. like, let's start with the easy things. And then when we're talking about getting buy-in from maybe um, st- other stakeholders or maybe a board or maybe senior leadership, once you start with the little wins, like then they add up and you can start the snowball effect. And it's like, oh, we should do this too. And like you start having those conversations. Well, why did we change out the lights? Or, you know, why are we talking about adding a Nest thermostat or, you know, changing our um, the windows? Yeah, the windows. You know, what's the why are we talking about this? It's like, oh, well, it's going to save you, you know, 20 percent on your energy bill. Like, well, that's instant savings. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that quickly. That's all. That's all the CFO needs to see. Like, oh, dollars back to me. Perfect. Like, I'm sold. Well, talking about that, um, because one thing that I've experienced with my clients in a lot of cases, when we start talking about, hey, maybe we should look at adding some solar, mm-hmm. especially for my clients that have large, you know, rooftops. You know, maybe add some solar or doing these other measures. The issue comes up on cost. Right. Are there government grants out there to help uh, supplement some of these costs? Yeah, there definitely are, especially now. Thanks at least to tax the, incentives. In, in, thanks to the um, Inflation Reduction Act, which was we all talk about is was poorly named because it's really climate action. But sure, you know, inflation um, is you can sell the Infl- Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act a lot easier than you can sell yeah. climate control yeah. in today's environment, and especially for um, existing buildings, mm. especially on the tax side. There is a, a fair amount of ways that you can depreciate the asset differently. So it hits your books so in a different way. Cost segregation analysis, yeah. which yeah. Is, we're going to cover in another thing. Yeah. That's a little bit more advanced than most people are waiting <laughs> yeah. for. Um, but there are also, we work with a, good, a, a great host of solar providers in the area who are, know how to work the system. They know how to play the games around, you know, energy providers and how they have to connect to the grid. And so I do uh, lean on them when it comes to what else are we looking for? And because sometimes there's even localities that have individual grants, um, depending on what type of building you okay. have, depending on the age of the building. And so, it de- you know, having somebody that can work through the minutiae and that's all they breathe is, you know, solar is really, really helpful in that case. Really quick, I'll jump in with insulation. Mm-hmm. I know that there are some places that use recycled denim mm-hmm. and there's a new thing now is hemp, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So part of the, the, um, the hook on insulation is that there's a lot of formaldehyde in insulation and, oh. um, and the formaldehyde is still a necessity in a lot of way, in a lot of building codes, okay. you have to have it. 
um, inside of the insulation. And so they're trying to find alternative materials. And the problem with the adaptation and using the alternative materials is allowing it for code, right? So like mm-hmm. building code is building code and building code has always been building code. So changing the perspective and getting people to buy into a new alternative material um, is like the hurdle. But yeah, we've seen a lot of like hemp and denim insulation products like coming to market. And I'm like, yeah, I just want the, cause I would love to be able to recommend those things if it meets building code, right? Like, cause that's always going to yeah. be at the end of the day, like, well, have you met my building code? Like, yes. Okay, perfect. Like then we're off to the races, but until you get to that point, there's only but so much you can do. So some of that going in and educating on municipalities that this is okay to implement. Yeah, it's a little bit of education and I think validation. We're looking right now um, at cross-laminated timber, which is another alternative building uh, material. And basically it's exactly what it sounds like. It's taking laminated sh- or sheets of basically what look like plywood and laminating them, gluing them together. Okay. And as you glue them together, their um, strength properties increase. Okay. Um, and the problem with the building code is that to a to a building official, it's just a wood frame building. Yeah. And in fact, the planks are so thick that the laminated sheets are so thick that only the outside would char and the inside integrity, strength integrity is the exact same. Really? But they can't see past the building code as the building code. Okay. And it's taken lots of testing from like underwriter laboratory to start that process of like reproving that, you know, the building won't burn the same way. It's going to burn just the same way as, you know, a steel structure. It's going to be better than that. But they won't take it on face value. They're not going to say, like, we're just going to sweep our code and say, like, yeah, it's fine. So, like, the adoption process is just so slow because they really want solid, concrete data. They want the facts. They want to see it in practice a few times somewhere else before, you know, they are going to say, yeah, we buy into it. Well, do you have all that data if they ask for it? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways we have, I mean, what's what's great about the things that come on the market there, people are testing them. People are trying them out. People are okay. writing about it. Um, cross laminated timber and mass timber is probably is the next building material evolution going and in some ways going backwards, right? Because we were building out of wood and then we went to mm-hmm. steel and concrete. But um, what's cool about cross laminated timber to me is that um, we're able to sequester carbon and lock it away inside of the wood materials and lock it away for another hundred years. Um, And if you think about the process of wood, that if it's trees growing and pulling in carbon, locking it away, we cut it at at its peak, hopefully of um, extracting carbon and locking it away. It goes into a building and is left there for a hundred years. It can then be turned into either another building or it can be used for fuel or it can be used and then, then it's like completed the full cycle. Um, so it's like one of those things that like we want, we want adoption rapidly. And so we're trying to educate, we're trying to demonstrate, we're trying to get the buy-in, we're trying to find the building codes that will allow us, you know, ability to play and try it out and say like, this is where it is. Every time that we try something, just like with the Brock center, when we did the, we were, you know, trying to figure out the water filtration systems. Like it was, everybody wanted to come and look at it. And like, that was part of it. Like moving the needle forward includes telling people how you did it and having those conversations and educating and sharing resources. So we try to do that at every step we can. Hello everyone. This is your friendly neighborhood producer, Mark. And today's episode was a long one. So we've decided to split it into two parts. We hope you enjoyed part one, and please stay tuned for part two of It's Not Easy Being Green. 
Business Casual podcast is recorded in the Hurrah studio and edited by Mark Harlan.